just lose the f***ing Canucks? No, 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 no. You're listening to Halford and Bruff. They competed so hard on the road, and then tonight, um, just a, a bigger, stronger team came in and just sort of bullied us around. Army pie in the sky with a morning commute. Traffic this morning is as bad as it gets. Due to a fire at the Army testing lab, a bunch of escaped infected monkeys are roaming the expressway. Don't unroll your windows, because those monkeys seem confused and irritable. Good morning, Vancouver 601 on a Wednesday. Happy Wednesday, everybody. It is Halford. It is Brough. It is Sportsnet 650. We are coming to you live from the beautiful Kintec Studios in beautiful Fairview Slopes in Vancouver. Jason, good morning to you. Good morning. A-Dog, good morning to you. Good morning. And Laddie, good morning to you as hello, well. Hello, hello. Strong intro this morning, Laddie. Really well done. You like that one, That huh? was pretty good. Halford and Brough for the morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. I mentioned we are broadcasting from the Kintec studios. Jason, tell them more about Kintec. Oh, our beautiful Kintec studios, just looking around. Mm-hmm. Kintec footwear and orthotics. Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 1,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. Big show ahead on the Halboro Experience on a Wednesday. Guests begin at 6.30. David Amber is going to join us. Sportsnet Hockey Night in Canada NHL host is going to join us. We'll whip around the National Hockey League. Some of the big stories from last night. Uh, Canucks lost. Matthew Kachuk returns to Calgary. That was a loss for him. Uh, in case you missed it, the Seattle Kraken... And Los Angeles Kings played a game last night. It ended late because it was in Los Angeles. 9-8 in overtime for the Kraken. That's were there, right. Were there no goalies in that game? It was actually me versus uh, Kevin Woodley. <laughs> that explains it. <laughs> it, was, it was a wild one, so we'll talk to David Amber about all of that at 6.30. 7.30, Manuel Veth is going to join us for a little footy talk here. Uh, he's from Transfer Market and uh, a variety of other media outlets pertaining to the beautiful game. We will look at a little bit of the World Cup picture at large and preview Thursday's match, Canada-Morocco. But we'll talk about uh, some of the major stories that are emanating from the Canadian camp, including a highly controversial article written about Alfonso Davies yesterday. Mm -hmm. And that certainly made the rounds on social media. So we'll get to Manuel Veth at 7.30 to talk about all that. 8 o'clock, sorry, 8.05. 805. Dan Murphy from Sportsnet is going to join us in the wake of Vancouver's 5-1 loss to the Washington Capitals last night at Rogers Arena to kick off this homestand. Not an impressive performance by any stretch. The head coach had some some pretty interesting and pretty blunt remarks in the aftermath, so we'll talk to Murph about that at 8. So again, working in reverse, 8 o'clock, Dan Murphy, 7.30, Manuel Veth, 6.30, David Amber. Those are your guests. It's a relatively light night. In the world of sports, there's just four NHL games. Uh, we got two Canadian teams in action. Ottawa takes on the Rangers, and the Leafs take on the Sharks. World Cup, as we've already got our round of 16 matchups starting to formulate, two of them yesterday. Uh, we've got France and Tunisia, Denmark and Australia at seven. So still all to play for in that group. Every team playing today is still mathematically alive. Yeah. Denmark, Denmark and Australia is the big one in that group, I think. Right. That's what they're essentially fighting for the second spot in the group. Because I'm going Well, to, if Denmark doesn't get through, that's a big disappointment. It is. Given this tournament has been a big disappointment for Denmark, period. Uh, so they've got a big test ahead today. And then at 11, a couple of really interesting matchups. Because, again, everybody in this group is still mathematically alive. You've got Messi and Argentina against Lewandowski in Poland. And then in the other one, you got Mexico and Saudi Arabia. Mexico is looking to salvage anything they can from this tournament and get to the round of 16 because that's always where they go. What is it, seven consecutive tournaments? Seven straight, yeah. So that's all at 11 o'clock. Uh, there's a bunch of NBA games. So there's some decent stuff on the tube tonight, but really the intrigue will be this morning uh, as the four games get underway. Okay, uh, that's what's happening on the program today. Laddie, let's tell everybody what happened. <laughs> Did you guys see the game last night? No. What happened? I missed all the action because I was... We know how busy your life can be. What happened? You missed that? What happened? Canucks lose. Canucks lose. Canucks lose. Alex Ovechkin scored twice to pass Wayne Gretzky for the most road goals by a single player in NHL history. The Caps defeated the Canucks rather easily 
on Tuesday night at Rogers Arena, 5-1 in a game that uh, did not start well for the Canucks, didn't have a very good middle, and didn't end very well either. 5-1 the final, blurg. This was an absolute clunker. Uh, it featured some pretty dreadful defending once again from the Vancouver Canucks, one of the worst defensive teams in the NHL, and it all started out about five minutes into the game with poor puck management. Where have we heard that before? Oh, pretty much every time we've talked about the Canucks and their issues. This time it came from Quinn Hughes, who went back for a puck, forgot to look to his right, and uh, Alice Ovechkin was there, uh, arguably the greatest goal scorer of all time. He was, he was right there. And uh, the Canucks, I don't know if they'd heard of Alex Ovechkin because Ovi could have had about five goals last night. Yeah. Normally, uh, you know, when you play the, the greatest goal scorer in NHL history, you at least give that guy some extra attention. They did not. Um, they the did second not. goal was not great for Spencer Martin, I don't think, but... Alex Ovechkin has a pretty hard one-timer, and it snuck through Spencer Martin. The third goal, once again, some pretty bad defending from the Canucks, and it was off a Washington forecheck like the one, like the first goal was. Um, it was Petey going back for the puck, and then he got hit off the puck, and then it was just a, a fire drill there for the Canucks, and it was a fire drill which would have ended up with uh, nobody getting out of the house. Yeah, it was not it was not good at all. It's another clunker at home. So this is a team that is now 3-5-1 and one at home this year, and you can quickly, quickly check off the number of games in which they left the Rogers Arena ice looking like by far the second-best team on the ice and also putting forth a really lackluster performance in front of paying fans. Not a great night for Petey. And we've been singing Elias Pettersson's praises, and he was minus five last night. Is that bad? And I know we don't do plus minuses that much on this show, but I think that matched up with how that line played. And we talked about PD's, well, it wasn't really a turnover, but he got hit off the puck on the third goal. And I think the third goal was probably the the dagger goal. They'd come back from 2 nothing to make it 2-1. to one. But when it was 3-1, it was kind of like, all right, this is over. The Canucks just did not have it last night, and you can make all the excuses in the world for them. And they were coming back off a road trip, and they had had a very successful road trip. They only had one day off back at home. It was kind of one of those games where you wondered about the energy that they'd have coming back off the road. Washington was kind of a desperate team because they hadn't been playing well and they needed a good effort and Washington got the effort. But you make a good point about the home record. They're now 3-5-1 and one at home. 3-5-1. and one. And we can kind of remember all those losses because they're all pretty bad losses. You had the Buffalo home opener, right? That was bad. Terrible. Then they were just outclassed by New Jersey and Carolina. Yes. Uh, that and, is correct. <laughs> and they didn't have, I, I'm pretty sure in the Carolina game, they had a really bad third period where Bruce Boudreaux was like, what the, like, what was that? That was where the, the ice was completely tilted. And yeah. The shot metrics were so in favor of Carolina. There was the blown lead against Vegas. I remember that one. Another multi-goal lead. Throw they it on the pile. 4-2 in the third period, and they blew that one. And then last night, which was just... I don't know if you're going to describe it. I think it's just a clunker. But the Canucks can't afford clunkers. The Canucks can't afford clunkers at home against teams like Washington, which have all sorts of injury issues. And they just, I don't know. Like I, I So to be perfectly honest with you, I don't get all that excited about this team anymore. Even when they win three in a row on the, on the road, like they haven't earned that. They haven't earned that ability to get their fan base optimistic even after three wins in a row mm-hmm. like they just they just haven't because we we we've seen it too many times we've 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 seen them you know kind of show some life but then they come up with an effort like last night and you you're just kind of like hey you know what guys maybe they're not very good uh let's go to the head coach here laddie bruce boudreaux this is right from the introductory moments of his presser yesterday in which yet again Bruce Boudreau came off the ice and was visibly displeased with his team's preparation, execution, and effort. The big three, really, that they fail on 
on a regular basis. Then, in a new wrinkle, which is nice because it must be tiring for Bruce and, quite frankly, everyone else to have to hear the same things over and over again. A new one, Jason. He said that his team got bullied off the ice by a bigger and badder Capitals sure. team. Yeah, they did. Let's hear it all. Here's Bruce Boudreaux after the 5-1 loss to the Washington Capitals last night at Rogers Arena. Well, well obviously, it was pretty frustrating. I mean, uh, uh, you were hoping to build on something at home. And... Uh, uh, obviously, we came out pretty flat, and uh, you know, and they take that three-to-one lead, and they're jumping all over us, and and we're uh, weren't reacting very well to it. Surprised are you by that? Bruce, your players talked a lot about just not having the compete level after such a good road trip. Yeah, believe, believe me, as uh, as coaches here, we're you know we're wondering the same thing. I mean, they competed so hard on the road, and then tonight, um, just a. a bigger, stronger team came in and just sort of bullied us around. Uh, The unpredictability of this team, I think, probably plays into a lot of the different criticisms, just in ways and shapes and forms. Like um, when Jim Rutherford publicly says the team lacks structure, part of that is they don't have something that they can fall back on where there'll be a consistent approach to attacking the game or a consistent approach to defending. And that is when you get really wildly lopsided games like this. Another one is when Pedersen and Hughes have an off night, and it will happen from time to time, believe it or not. They're not perfect players, right? The idea would be, theoretically, uh, all the other players in theory, pick up the slack, pick them up, and don't cave. When, so if he, you know, don't get me wrong. Dash five is like an extraordinarily bad night. Like yep. You're on the goal. You're on the ice for all the goals. That, that hurts. But there should be... And again, this goes back to what are we as a team? What's our identity? How do we play? I don't think anybody in the organization wants a team that is predicated solely on, well, PD's got to be amazing every night or Demko's got to be amazing every night. Like if there has to be a structure so that when you have an off night, there still is the glimmer of hope that you can pull a point or two out of the game. Is that fair? Absolutely. Because last night they had that. Because last night they didn't. Last night they were flat. No one really rose up. And it almost like it's like everyone's looking around being like, okay, who's going to fight? Like, it, it, Shen, is it you? <laughs> Burroughs, is it your turn? Joshua, okay, we got to do something to drag these guys into the fight. And it's happened a lot this year. Well, you can say what you will about Jim Rutherford publicly criticizing the team and the way he criticizes the team. It's a pretty harsh criticism of the head coach. Like, I have time for people that say, hey, you don't need to do that in public. Right. But Like John Herdman. Don't do it in public. But Do it in private. <laughs> he's 100% right. The Canucks do lack structure. Just watch them play in front, in front of their own net. Mm-hmm. It's, it's terrible sometimes. And you just and, – and, and again, though, but like I think a lot of the fan base, and I would, conclu- uh, I would include myself in this, uh, I'm going to need to see a lot more than a three-game winning streak before I get excited about this. Like, yeah, the Canucks drew within one point of the wild card spot with that three-game winning streak. Mm-hmm. And I was kind of like, that's interesting. But that's about it, right? Because the team hasn't changed. The team is the same. And how many times has Bruce Boudreaux come out after games and been like, yeah, just like, I, I don't know. I don't know why that happened, exactly. or I I don't know I don't know why. I think it was the quote. It might have been the Carolina game, and the Canucks were winless up to that point. Okay. And he said, "Like I don't know how a team can come out in the third period like that at home when you haven't won a game yet." Mm-hmm. And he ain't wrong. No, no, no. But like the answer might be just because they're not they're not that good. Yeah, but that right? yeah, and that's and that's totally fair. And, that's and there's why, something off with the group. And that's why I think we've got such a fr- fr- frustrated fan base right now because the game to game, the post game analysis, like I feel for Sat and Bick. I was listening to them on the way in. Was there a lot of frustration last night from the fan base? How how much do you think the Just hold expectations got raised by that three game winning streak? It wasn't though? it wasn't the frustration with the loss. It was the frustration that you have to almost right away pivot to the bigger picture conversation. So the day-to-day, the results from game to game, it, again, they went on a three-game win streak. They kind of clawed their way back within a handful of points of the playoffs, but everyone was like, okay, but we have to go back to the actual construction of this roster because fewer and fewer people are buying into these mini blips yes, where they yes. go on a run. Yeah, they don't want to be fooled again. Because we saw it last year. 
And then the president of Hockey Ops spent a large chunk of the offseason and the early part of the season hammering at home that they don't believe that the way the team is currently constructed is good enough. Now, under normal circumstances, like this next clip I want to play, I want to play Boudreaux and Garland. If we were in normal times, this would probably draw more eyes and more attention, and we'd probably be more fixated on, ooh, maybe he'll be ready for a second healthy scratch, Connor Garland. <laughs> I like it doesn't even matter. It doesn't. So here's Bruce Boudreaux talking about Connor Garland, who, if I'm not mistaken, has now gone 15 games without a goal and was dropped to the fourth line in the, in the third period last night. Bruce Boudreaux at the end of his presser on the struggling Connor Garland. Well, he's struggling on it. I think he's trying to do too much. He's trying to be too cute. Like, I mean, instead of getting simplifying his game and getting pucks at the net, he's trying to make great plays to, uh, uh, you know, and, and they're getting intercepted and knocked down, and it's just not working. So I've always been told, and, you know, through my history, that if things aren't working for you, you get back to basics and you just start you know, shooting the puck and, uh, and, you know, not try to make these fancy plays. So, I mean, but... Um, you know, we'll talk about that with him tomorrow. And it's almost like, we'll just add another one to the pile. Another problem this year. Because Garland's ear has been tough, to put it mildly. Mm-hmm. This, he, If I was to take those remarks and see what played out in the third period yesterday, I'd say he's maybe on track for another healthy scratch. In large part because they've got guys that are ready to get back in the lineup. Like Studnika's not far away. Pearson's not far away. And at this point, I think Boudreaux's already made the argument once that either I don't particularly he doesn't love like the style of no, play. No. And the, the other part of it is that Garland really hasn't done anything on his end because the production has been nil. I'm pretty sure Bruce Boudreaux was thinking about th- the size of the Washington Capitals last night and their meanness and their toughness when he's talking about how they bullied the Canucks. Right. And then he's like, and Garland over here. Yeah. Right? And, you and know, it, it, that's just not his type of game. Right. Like, he's a perimeter guy. Like, he likes spinning around on the outside. It's fun to watch. Right? It's like a little top just spinning around out there. Yeah. It can be entertaining at times because he makes things happen. But he's not making things happen. Mm-hmm. And th- there's another guy, if you want to talk about, well, take the, the small day-to-day microcosm and play it out into the macro. I don't know, like, I, I, I don't know what you do with the player or with the contract. But it's one of those decisions that you feel like, you should make a move either way on this and a variety of other ones. Well, it's frustrating for management, I'm sure, because Garland's one of those pieces that they're going to try and move, probably, if they haven't already, to create some cap space. And right now, he's not doing anything to help his market value. Well, exactly, right. And it makes it even more frustrating if you look back at that trade with Arizona because he was the, sp- he was the piece that people were supposed to be excited about. Yes. Right? That was going to be a guy that they got on a really affordable deal that was going to provide, I mean, what were the, the hopes for him on an annual basis? 20 goals? At least. Right? At yep. least, yeah. And you look at yeah. it and you're saying, well, none of this is playing out in real time. As mm-hmm. a matter of fact, he's gone the opposite. 15 games without a goal for a guy that should be scoring goals on a way more regular basis. Is God, a looking, looking back on that trade, I, I know we do this too often sometimes, but um, that might be with exception to the Cam Neely trade, mm-hmm. the worst trade in franchise history. The worst, trade, it, the worst trade in franchise history. When the, it's all said and done. The, the, yeah. the impact that it's had on the team, because the impact hasn't even really been felt all the way through. No, that's what I'm saying. When, right? it's, all said and, you're when not, it's all said and done. You haven't felt the pain of these guys getting really old and really ineffective. Right? And yeah. I mean, ho- even, hopefully we won't have to see that. I mean, Garland's only 26, but like Oliver ekman Larson, like that contract is... One of the one of the heaviest anchors mm-hmm. in the NHL. There are some anchor contracts out there, but that one is one of the, the heaviest anchors. And you, and you're looking at it and going, man, this is going to be one of the toughest things to deal with going forward in terms of clearing cap space and in terms of bringing the Canucks out of whatever they are right now and turning them into a contender. Well, I mean, just think about this, right? Like some of the last vestiges of the Benning era included the Dickinson trade and the Garland and OEL trade, right? Well, the Canucks have already had to pay pay the price of a draft pick to get rid of Dickinson's contract. Uh, we're already talking about potentially giving giving Garland away for free at this point. But it's been discussed, granted, by these two idiots on your radio and on your streaming app right now. And then you've got the OAL contract, which I think everyone agrees is immovable. Mm-hmm. So, the, so the cleanup crew, known as Rutherford and Alvin, are looking at this and they're saying, you know, not only... 
the years of mismanagement, at the very end, they doubled down and made a series of really, really hamstringing moves yeah. that we've got to try and clean up, which is, again, if you want to start connecting the dots, connect the dots at the last few deals of the Benning era, and then this offseason, when Alvin and Rutherford, they're like, okay, this is our first summer to go and really make changes to this roster and undo some of the stuff that happened. And then the summer passed, and their response was, man, that was harder than we thought it was going to be. And as a matter of fact, it was too hard because we didn't move any money out whatsoever. But, but we did add some money. Yeah. And then you're looking at it and you're like, what's going on here? What's going on? This doesn't make any sense. None of it made any sense. And now we're going back to the same conversations that this management group had at the beginning of the summer, which is, all right, let's try and work on clearing up cap space again. Mm. And you, you watch this Maybe play Maybe it'll out. be easier this summer. And then poor listeners are like, but there's a game Thursday against the Panthers. They're doing Sedine and Luongo Retirement celebration night, and the, the, the organization absolutely is. But they're so mired in a bunch of issues of their own doing and a team that is so wildly unpredictable on a night-to-night basis that people have a hard time following that part of it. They really do. By the way, after that scintillating sell, we're giving away a pair of tickets to go see the team play on Thursday night. Rogers Arena, 7 o'clock against the Panthers. I did mention it is Sedin and Luongo retirement night. So... Text the 650-650. That is the Dunbar Lumber text line. What you learned over the last 24 hours in sports. Hashtag it WWL. Then add a ticket emoji. And that'll enter you into the grand prize draw. The grand prize draw for a pair of tickets to go see the Canucks and Panthers on Thursday night. Uh, it's great to have the Sedins and Luongo being honored again because uh, I can bring back my uh, my favorite word, juxtapose. Yeah. And we can we can look at that 2011 team. We can talk about that 2011 team and everything they had going for them and then compare it to the current team. I wonder if the Sedins will... Oh, they're here all the time anyway. Luongo needs to do a BX's speech. The BX's speech, they got a little bit of a bump. Remember that? They won like a game. Yeah, maybe. They went out and beat the Ducks that night, didn't they? Oh, well, that's a tough win. You right. called it retirement night. I guess technically it's like Hall of Fame. It's a Hall of Fame night. night. Hall of yeah. Fame night, yeah. yeah it's not, not retirement Are any surprises night. in store, yeah. you think? Or? BX's was a retirement night. Yeah. This is different. Will there be any surprises yeah, in store? I think they're going to announce that they got into the Hall of Fame. and then <laughs> Sometimes they get presents. They do That's probably true. get presents. Yeah, they, they should give the Sedins like matching Harley Davidsons. Didn't they give, I, did, I, I, do, I don't. Didn't they? Give I don't the want Sedin, a motorcycle. They gave the Sedins a horse one time, didn't they? Here we go. <laughs> didn't they? Or did, did they give them tickets did to you go dream see a this? horse? Did they give them tickets to go see a horse race? What? Is that it? You got to Google this up. I don't ever remember a horse being brought out onto the ice and be like, he's I don't yours. think they brought onto the ice. It was it's just a, a picture. It was a they pony. Gave something at Churchill Downs, like a, like an experience at Churchill Downs. What, oh, okay. What so it was something yeah, like that. Yeah, right. right. They're, they're, okay. okay. They, they didn't. They actually just got a trip to go see horses. Yes. They didn't get an actual A horse. trip to, to, <laughs> to, to see, see horses? horses? Yeah. Just to go and see them? They sent them yeah. to the Kentucky Nothing Derby. more specific? You want to see some horses? Gonna, yeah, they went. They went down to uh, Churchill Downs in May. So oh, that, okay. That's a nice, that's that's cool. So now they got to come up with an even better present, right? Right. That's how this works. Giraffe. <laughs> <laughs> well, just, it's like a, it's like a taller horse. We'll just make the joke. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. a horse. Oh, the giraffe joke. Someone make it. What Myers? Yeah, there you go. Oh. oh. I thought that's, it was about me. Yeah, I was all hanging. That's what I was assuming. Yeah. If okay. they actually got Myers to walk a giraffe out on the ice. <laughs> um, so listen, David Amber's going to join us next. We'll talk about uh, maybe the Canucks if we feel like it, but we'll go around the NHL as well. We'll talk about this wild Seattle Kraken team that played a 9-8 game last night. The Kraken won again. That's that's the that's the story, really. Not that the manner that they're winning, but they're winning a lot of games, although the manner in which they're winning is pretty interesting because they are scoring a lot of goals. So we'll talk to David Amber about that. But I just wanted to throw to the listeners, um, I hope everyone got home okay last last night. uh, Early in the morning, too. It was, um, I've lived in Vancouver my whole life, and I have not seen the streets quite like that in a while, I'm lucky I don't have a long commute or I don't have to drive around a, a lot. Um, but like even my typical you know, seven minute uh, trips around the city we turned into like 45 minutes l- last night. And I was thinking while I was like going through side streets, trying to avoid accidents here and there. And I was kind of like trying to figure out what the best way home. Like I, I, I was, I was like a kilometer away from home. And I couldn't get there. Yeah. I'm like, how? What? I just, I can't get there. It's all blocked off. And I was thinking, like, 
the people that have to do the long commutes or have to take public transit, when are they going to get home? Yeah. How long is this going to take? And I just felt so, uh, so awful for them. Yeah, because what you were doing was not an option for a lot of the motorists no. stuck uh, in bridge traffic. The Alex Fraser and the Patola were bad. I don't know if they have been cleared. To be honest, I got a video sent to me at 2 o'clock in the morning from one of the guys on WhatsApp. So just being like, this is still going on right now yeah. in New West where people are just stuck in their cars and there wasn't a U-turn to be made no. and there wasn't a, a, a side street to be taken. So uh, if you you know what? If you are somehow still stuck in your vehicle, um, best of luck to you and hopefully that you've got enough fuel to continue on. And you're There's no way on. someone's still stuck in their vehicle. There were massive, massive blocks. I mean, we're only four hours away from when I got a video live. If you were stuck scene. in your video last or in your uh, in your car last night, I just hope you're still in bed and getting a nice sleep and take the day off work. Yeah. David Amber is coming up next on the Halford and Bruff show on Sportsnet 650. And then it was just a, a fire drill there for the Canucks. And it was a fire drill, which would have ended up with uh, nobody getting out of the house. Yeah. Is it supposed to take this long? What's a good time for a mass evacuation of the entire plant? 45 seconds. And what's our time so far? I don't know, sir. This stopwatch only goes up to 15 minutes. Time now for Sportsnet 650 traffic from the City News 1130 Air Patrol. Folks, it's snow picnic out there. <laughs> I snow what you mean. <laughs> You're dead weight, Mark. 632 on a Wednesday. Happy Wednesday, everybody. Halford Bruff, Sportsnet 650. Halford and Bruff of the Morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. Big night in the NHL last night. Canucks game. A dud, without question. 5-1 loss to the Washington Capitals and Alexander Ovechkin at Rogers Arena. There were some really interesting scores from around the NHL last night, though. <clears throat> Calgary gets to exact a measure of revenge against Matthew Kachuk as they handle the Panthers in Calgary last night in Kachuk's return. Smattering of booze every time he touched the puck. It figures like it's, feels like it's going to be worse for when Goudreau comes back. Right. Feels like they were saving most of their collective rage for Johnny. God, I love that word, smattering. A smattering of booze. Mm-hmm. Uh, a, a smattering of goals in Seattle. If you're just waking up or maybe you're just getting home from the overnight commute, 17 goals between the Kraken and the Kings last night. A 9-8, not a typo, 9-8 overtime victory. For the Kraken. And finally, we didn't even mention this one in the intro. The Bruins are never going to lose a game at home this season. Because they haven't yet. They are 13-0 and at home this season. What are the Canucks again, Jason, at home at Rogers uh, Arena? Uh, I don't know. 3-5 and something. 3-5 and 1. 3-5 and 1. Are those keeping track? Yeah. Bruins are 13-0. I watched that Bruins-Tampa Bay game, and it was terrific hockey. Just just an just really, really... Uh, it was only 2-1 to one, or 3-1. to one. I think mm-hmm. they got an empty netter, but it was... Really good hockey. And then the Canucks played. <laughs> Let's go to the phone lines now. Joined as we are every week on this program. Sportsnet, Hockey Night in Canada, NHL host David Amber here on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Morning, David. How are you? Good, guys. I, I got to ask you a question, though. We, we were showing shots on our show outside Rogers Arena yesterday. Was it snowing in Vancouver yesterday? Just a wee bit, yeah. It's, it was a... It was a very, very rough time for the Lower Mainland, mm. not just because of snow, which we don't collectively deal with very well, but the time it hit during rush hour. Yeah. And a lot of people oh were not prepared on the roads to deal with it. I mean, some of the videos that were get be, that are being sent right now about, you know, buses spinning out of control and like multi-car pileups where our, all the cars are in a line parked and it's like a domino effect. It was uh it was not a pretty night for Vancouver. It was not a pretty night on the ice either. I know you and Luke Gadsden got <laughs> to see that. Um this is yeah. another game that you're working where you got to come in at the intermission and be like, "Uh, that's not good." <laughs> <laughs> Well, I can tell you, well, the reason I asked about the snow wasn't to mock Vancouver. Listen, I'm driving through a, a torrential rain pour right now in Toronto, so I'm like, what's going on? We're getting the rain, you're getting the snow, everything's upside down, Seattle scoring nine goals, what the hell's going on around here? Um, yeah, last night wasn't good, uh, watching the game with Luke, and, and he said, you know, sometimes that happens, you get all this momentum on a road trip, all you could think about on the road is hockey, and you're together as a team, you're working, you're thinking, you're focused, then you get home and reality sets in. You're doing laundry or going 
going out for dinner with your buddies, you're, you know, spending time with your wife, your kids, whatever. And, you know, sometimes you kind of miss a step. And yet Washington who's going on a season high six game road trip, trying to get their season back on the rails. And, and maybe it was one of those sort of just like the snow in Vancouver and the rain in Toronto, everything's sort of freaky Friday, flipped the script a, a little bit, but it was a bit of a letdown. My favorite story though, from Luke last night was the story he had about in the middle of a game, asking Ovechkin for a stick, which I just thought was hilarious. I'm like, how does that even work? And he said, well, I was on the end of one on our bench. She said, I wasn't playing a lot that game. I was at the end of our bench and OV just came off the ice and plopped down on the end of their bench. And he basically turns to OV and he's like, Hey man, I'd love to get a signed stick from you. Oh, that's <laughs> that a great, during the game. During the game, <laughs> during the game, he asked, and I was like, who's your head coach? He said, Dallas Aikens. You go, oh, Dallas was pretty cool about that. Daryl Sutter's head would explode. Oh my God. Yeah. If that, you know, if you had grasped some of the other team, but he says it, he says it happens more than you think. And he has a big stick collection. So, um, anyways, the funny part of the story is, Ovi's like, yeah, sure. No problem, kid. And he never got that stick. <laughs> so he's still waiting on OV sticks signed. He says, preferably. Man, it is, uh, it, it is incredible that Ovi's still doing what he's doing mm-hmm. and he scores goals. And I know everyone thinks that, you know, he, oh, he scores all his goals off, off, a, off a one-timer and, and he did score one off a one-timer last night that, uh, got through Spencer Martin. And I don't know if there's been a guy out there that's like shot more pucks through a goalie than Alex Ovechkin. I don't think there is though, but really the, the his forecheck on Quinn Hughes to start the game and Quinn didn't hear him coming or didn't see him coming. And then he turned right into him and the puck ended up just kind of bouncing into the net behind Spencer Martin. And it was one, nothing. And that was kind of the start of like the, uh Oh, it might be an off night for the Canucks night. Um, the guy is just incredible to watch. And does it give you a thrill to see him so thrilled about still scoring goals? Yeah, he's such a unique athlete, right? Like, when do you get a guy who leads the league in goals nine times, nine-time 50-goal score plus, and um, and he also has, you know, been right up there amongst league leaders in hits a number of times. He is the ultimate unicorn, you know? Like, he's the ultimate guy. You look at other scorers in the league, and usually they look like, you know, Jack Hughes, or they look like Pedersen. They're, they're, they're you know, they're, they're kind of slick and smooth and, he, he's not slick and smooth as much as he is a, a bull in a china shop, right? But he's got this incredible ability to move his body in, in such a way uh, that, you know, it's just, it's mesmerizing. I mean, his best shot of the game wasn't the one that got through Spencer Martin. It's the one where he got robbed of his hat trick, where he pulled around a, a check right off the draw and wired one off the crossbar. Uh, I mean, it was a great shot. It won't even count as a shot, but, you know... He, he's such a unique athlete. Uh, you know, I threw out last night, I, I think the Gretzky record is, it's, it's obvious, you know, barring something catastrophic happening to him, you know, career-ending type situation. I don't see how he doesn't break Gretzky's record. And maybe the real question we should start asking is, is 1,000 out of reach? And I know I'm getting ahead of myself. He's closing in on 800, but I, I wouldn't put it past him. You know, I, I just wouldn't put another, you know, five. 40 goal seasons or, you know, six 35 goal seasons, however you want to do the math to get to a thousand. It wouldn't shock me at all. I remember having this debate somewhere. God, it might've been with someone on Twitter, like years and years ago, six or seven years ago. And I was like, there is no way Ovechkin's breaking Gretzky's record. No chance. Like I gave it a 0.5% chance, but I think two things happened. First of all, Ovechkin kind of had a resurgence because remember back in like 2016, 17, he was starting to slow down a little bit. He only had like a 33 goal season then. And you're looking at him, he's getting into his thirties and traditionally NHL players, once they hit their thirties, they, they slow down a little bit, but, uh, but uh, so obviously he's, um, he's gone against that. Uh, But the other thing that's happened is this offensive explosion in the NHL. Like he's caught on to this trend and he's still part of this trend where it is a lot easier to score goals, and we saw that last night with the Kraken winning a nine-eight game. I'm I feel like I'm watching '80s hockey some of the time when I'm watching, and I, I think it's great. I think goal scoring and and more goals is great for the league, and I th- and I thought for for years that they needed to do something about it. I don't even know if they did anything about it. It just kind of happened. 
What do you, what do you make of this offensive explosion in the NHL that we've seen over the last few years? Well, I agree with you. It's great. Um, one thing, and, and Canucks fans might roll their eyes when I say this, but no lead is safe, and that makes for fun, entertaining hockey. Uh, and forget about the Canucks. We know their, their situation, but there's been a number, a number of teams, 2 nothing, 3 nothing leads that have, have lost them. I mean, Edmonton was down 3 nothing in the third period against the Rangers on Saturday and scored four goals. Yeah. I mean, that's unbelievable, right? Six, seven, eight, nine years ago, that would not have happened. At 2 nothing and at 3 nothing, certainly, the game was just about over. So I think it's great for the fans. It keeps everyone engaged. Um, and I have no problem with it. I mean, we want to see offense. As much as you might watch a 2-1 game like we saw with Boston and Tampa with the empty net goal to make it 3-1, uh, that was great hockey. That was playoff-style hockey. It was, it was fantastic, skilled game. I'm just as excited and more excited to watch a 9-8 game. I mean, we just, you know, it brings us back to the, the you know, the fire, you know, wagon 1980s style hockey. Uh, it's great. The guys are so high, highly skilled. The rules are now in place to make it a bit more of a run-and-gun situation, and, and I think it's great for everyone. And, and a guy like Ovechkin, by the way, he bucks the trend. There's only been two players. He's 37 years old. There's only two players ever at 37 who've scored 40 goals, and that's Johnny Busick and Gordie Howe. He was the third, I believe, last year. So, uh, you know, it's, it's great. We're watching something very special, and there's a, a number of dynamic players out there. And, you know, that's why when I look at a guy like Connor McDavid, guys, because of the scoring um, trend we're seeing in the NHL, I said a couple of weeks ago, I see Connor McDavid – uh, probably ending up with the second most points in the NHL besides Wayne Gretzky. I see him, you know, passing Yager and all these other guys because, you know, he's going to have these 120, 130, 140 point seasons for, for the next little while. So uh, I think it's great, guys. I, I think the fans agree, and I, I think it just makes for a lot of storylines and it makes for a compelling theater because, again, we just don't know how games are going to end even if a team has a two- or three-goal lead in the second or third period. Uh, you mentioned Connor McDavid and the Edmonton Oilers. Let's stick in the province of Alberta. We're speaking to David Amber from Sportsnet here on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Uh, last night in Alberta, this time Calgary, it was uh, a much-anticipated return as Matthew Kajak and the Florida Panthers rolled through town. Now, the Flames won the game rather handily. I thought the interesting thing was, and you know, feel free to push back on my assessment of this, but I felt like everyone wanted this to be a bigger and more emotional return than it was. And the reason for that is because Kachuk kind of kept saying, hey, look, I didn't need this game to get over or close the book on my Calgary chapter. I had already done that. It was a game. I was looking forward to it, but that was it. And although the Flames won yesterday, it didn't really have any sort of fireworks whatsoever. Yeah, you know what? I, I tend to agree with you. You know what? It was a little anticlimactic, and we built it up, and I thought I thought something funny was going to happen because Same. of Matthew Kachuk. And we saw him the night before against Edmonton doing the sort of, you know, cheer, you know, boomy, boomy, I love it, you know, kind of waving to the crowd. I thought there'd be a bit of, a bit of that, and, and there wasn't. In fact, we saw maybe the most un- – expected and maybe uncharacteristic play we've seen from Matthew Kachuk. He and, and uh, Elias Lindholm collided. Lindholm hit the ice and Kachuk stopped mid-play and sort of tapped him on the back like, are you okay, buddy? Yeah. And I thought, oh my God, that's not Matthew Kachuk. What's going on here? He's going to win the Lady Bing at this rate. So um, it was a little bit anticlimactic. And, and listen, the, the real fireworks are January 23rd. And it won't shock me if Johnny Gaudreau comes down with a fever or something a few days before he's supposed to be going back to Calgary. Because that, that's going to be hostile. That's going to be angry. That's going to be what we maybe thought last night was going to be. I didn't think it was going to be that angry at Kachuk. I just thought it might be more emotional because he gave everything he had to give. He, you know, as Eric Francis said, he left um, in as appropriate a way as you, as you can, can ask. If, if you're the GM... You know, he didn't completely tie Brad Trey Living's hands, whereas Johnny Gaudreau walked him right to the altar and then and then walked away, you know, which is not great. Um, you know, Matthew Kachuk gave them an out, and look, they got Hubert O'Weager, they got two other parts. I mean, you know, a lot of people, myself included, say they might be a better team this year than they were last year, although it's been a slow start for them. So Matthew Kachuk, I think there was no reason to really boo him. I think now that he's wearing another uniform, you boo him, but you don't boo him for the time he spent in Calgary. But as you said, I felt it was a little – it lacked a bit of the emotion. I want to call Kelly Rudy because it's hard. It sometimes doesn't translate on TV. You guys know that, right? Yeah. Sometimes you just don't feel the emotion you need to be in the building. So I kind of want to reach out to Ryan Leslie or Kelly and, and just sort of say, you know, give us a bit more color on what it was like. But it didn't feel as emotional as I thought it was going to be either. 
David, great stuff today, man. Thanks a lot for doing this. We really appreciate it. Uh, enjoy the rest of the week. We'll do this again next Wednesday. Yeah, anytime, fellas. I hope the Canucks can uh, turn things around tomorrow. Thanks, bud. Appreciate it. That's David Amber from Sportsnet uh, Hockey Night Canada NHL host here on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. David mentioned the Canucks are in action again tomorrow night. That's Thursday night. They are at Rogers Arena against the aforementioned Florida Panthers and Matthew Kachuk. You can win a pair of tickets. It's also uh, Sedin and Luongo Hall of Fame night. All you got to do, text the 650-650. It is the Dunbar Lumber text line. It is the Smalt Alternative. What did you learn over the last 24 hours in sports? Hashtag it WWL, then add a ticket emoji. That will enter you into the grand prize draw for a pair of tickets to go see the Canucks and Panthers tomorrow night. Uh, I want to read a couple of texts into the Dunbar Lumber text line. If you have any comments or questions, text it in to 650-650. First one is from Austin in Langley talking about the Canucks. This team just lacks that killer instinct and that extra gear. Anytime they're in a position to get ahead, they end up taking a step back. This team needs to be good enough to win against teams like the Caps on their off nights. Uh, Gary the Atheist texts in, Remember last year when Tampa Bay came into Vancouver on a back-to-back in three games and four nights after playing the Oilers on a Saturday and just methodically clamped down to a 2-1 win? That's what structure affords a team. Yes, I think I've referenced that game a few yeah, times. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. And it's... Uh, you need you need to be able to have a security blanket, if you want to call it that, when you're you know, tired or you're injured. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what we see from a lot of the really good teams. When they're missing key players, they're not as good, don't get me wrong, right. but they can survive right. because everyone who comes into that team knows the structure and knows how to play. And you you can you can play like a two one game, yeah. And maybe you get the goal. Well, right? we, to- we talked about it. At the uh, very least, you get a point because you can get it overtime. We talked about it off the hop. Is that even if your star player is in the lineup and say goes minus five on a particular night, you have other guys in the lineup. Mm-hmm. And it's here's the thing: I think a lot of people have the misconception that when one player goes down, another individual player steps up and fills the void. That's not really how it works. The idea is that all of your success shouldn't be predicated on one individual player. There needs to be a team approach to everything. Mm-hmm. So that, let's say you're having a really rough night offensively. You're ha- you can't handle the puck. Everything's being bobbled. And all of a sudden, it's like, okay, we need to get we need to do something within our game to simplify this. Oftentimes, it's like Bruce said. You, you play the most basic game imaginable. Yeah, Puck's in deep. Aggressive forecheck, and even if you're not necessarily retrieving the puck, you're not having wave after wave of chances because mm-hmm. you're coughing up the puck, right? You're not trying to do too much and make a risky play and have it go the other way. You're trying to keep it as low event and as simple as possible. The team plays too much individually when it's not playing well, and um, we start analyzing the team as a bunch of individuals as opposed to a team structure. Mm-hmm. Like earlier in the season, well, what's wrong with the team? Wow, well, Demko, right? He's off. Well, that's an individual. Yep. And, you know, to be fair, we also talked about the environment in front of him. Yes. Uh, but too often with this team, we're like, did Petey have a good game? Yeah? Oh, the Canucks must have had a good chance to win then. Did Petey have a bad game? Oh, they probably lost then, right? Because he's their best player. Now, that's not completely unusual, but I just think that this team, like when I watch it uh, – and and we've we've said it time and time again. There's no rhyme or reason to them. They're not built very well. Right. You don't have the the pieces where you need the pieces. There's not enough uh, defensive ability. There's not too, enough two way ability. This team has no problem scoring goals. There's enough offensive uh, ability out there, but there isn't enough smarts. There isn't enough know how to win. Per 60 there. Sure. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. Is that a stat? Know how to win per 60? There just there just doesn't seem to be to, to have that. And and that's why a lot of people are out there and they kind of throw their hands up in the air and they go, you know, you got to make some major changes. And I'm, I'm still in that group. And the three-game right. win streak, yeah, was it, was it good? Yeah, I guess. Uh, I guess. But you went into Colorado against uh, a Colorado team that um, – was missing a lot of players and probably wasn't all that interested in having the Canucks come to town. And then Vegas was playing tired 
Um, they had played the night before, and that was their most impressive win, I think, for the Canucks beating Vegas, the, just the way they beat them. Mm-hmm. And then in San Jose, they needed Thatcher Demko to make a bunch of saves. Now, I'm glad you brought up Demko because there was a decision in that game last night which I think is worth mentioning, at least for a little bit. And that was the decision by Bruce Boudreaux to go with Spencer Martin over Thatcher Demko after Demko won on Sunday night in San Jose. I actually pro- I wanted to ask Laddie about this one first and foremost because it felt like there every night there's a decision to be made in net, right? Like you have to – it's a nominal thing where you have to choose a starting goalie. So it's not like – you know, it's not like this was a rarity where you had to make a decision, but this was actually a decision decision where you had valid reasons to play both guys in that game. So it was really always going to be one of those. It was a it was a bit of a knife with regards to making the decision because if it goes wrong, you know what you're going to hear on the other side. Ah, oh, how could you start Martin in that? Demko had maybe his best game of the season against San Jose. And then the flip side is if you go with Demko and he loses, it's why didn't you go with Martin? The guy's been playing great for you. So, laddie. I turn it to you now. When you heard the news first that it was going to be Martin over Demko and Nett, did it raise any eyebrows for you? Were you surprised by the decision? No, I don't think I was because I, I was sort of on the side of Kevin Bieksa when he was talking about it on the panel on the weekend okay. where you have a goalie who's on a tear. He's clearly winning most of his games. You, you, you can sprinkle in a few extra starts in there, even though Demko is still your starter. There's okay. nothing wrong with that. So, no, I wasn't, I wasn't surprised. I think in hindsight – you can feel pretty good about the decision because either guy you put in there, I don't think they were winning that game. That's so, a good point. Uh, either I way, think I Demko think... was going to win that game. No. Either. And I noticed Boudreaux did really quickly jump to Martin's defense about the goals in the first period, mm-hmm. uh, especially the one that went through him, the Ovechkin goal. Yeah. And he's like, oh, he's done that a hundred times. Yeah. Like, cause that's just what his shot does sometimes right now. I don't know if we, you know, it's, it'd be curious if we had a different reaction if it was Demko. If we, you know, not Bruce would have obviously had the same reaction, but the public, I'd be curious to see what the reactions are. But this is just another, uh, this is to throw on the pile of unpredictability with this team. Is the goaltending has now entered the chat on that one because not only do you have the somewhat unpredictable performances of Thatcher Demko, although it looks like it might be trending in the right direction, you also have uh, a coaching staff now that has made this a little bit more of, I'm not going to say a direct timeshare. But Spencer Martin has played more in the first two months of the yeah. season than I expected him to play to until January, quite mm-hmm. frankly. Like, especially... Whoever's playing better right now is going to start games. Yeah, that's kind of what that's it comes where down to, right? Because, I mean, Boudreaux's a guy in the past that has uh, ridden, rode, rowed, uh, his number one goalie for long stretches. <laughs> Routed. Routed. Roden. Roden. Yeah. <laughs> Keep going. Uh, he's... Well, because he did it with Hiller in yep. Anaheim. They did it with Demko last season. Mm-hmm. But it was all predicated on what you just said. Guys playing the best is going to go in. And Thatcher Demko from January on last year was always the best guy, except for a handful of nights where Martin got in. Uh, text in, you need a 900-plus save percentage to lock games down. For for all the that we've talked about, the team game of the Canucks and how they need to be better in front of their goalies, don't get us wrong. The goaltending in Vancouver has not been good enough this season, nope. and it is a major factor in why they're struggling and why they've blown so many leads and why uh, they have a losing record. That is the nature of goaltending. Unfortunately, sometimes it's just unpredictable because you got wild cards like Laddie. You just never know. You never know what they're gonna. You never know what they're gonna be. It was like but, that 9-8 game you and Woodley had last night. No yes. one saw that coming. <laughs> Every I think, morning I come to the studio, Laddie's eyes twitching. I don't know what to expect. It's <laughs> always going to be a wild time. Here? I think what the good teams are able to do is not necessarily thrive when their goalies aren't playing well, but survive. Yeah. I mean, the, the Martin narrative is actually kind of hilarious. Sat mentioned this on the panel last night. He's like, can we just all say the quiet part out loud? He hasn't been spectacular. He's just been in that when they won more games than Demko. But to Bruff's point, it's something I look at as well. You you, you take goal differential as a good barometer for a team's success. Yeah. I look at goals saved above average. So if mm-hmm. there's a team with a goalie who is way at the top of the class, he's clearly saving his team way above average. Mm-hmm. That's not a team I have a lot of confidence in. Right. Because if right. that goalie falls off or if that goalie has a bad week, that's a huge gap that they have to make up for. That so like Demko last year? Pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but you should be able to win with them being average. Teams that have average goaltending that still have really good records. Well, Kemper must have been average last season for Colorado. I forget what his GSA. Like it was wasn't. Like, it wasn't. Wasn't Kemper way at the for top. Colorado. Kemper last for Colorado. Year? Yeah. His regular season numbers were uh, fine. 
But right. that they also had Franco's played a pretty significant amount as well. Mm. And he was also fine. But I don't think anyone watched that Colorado team and be like, they're they're all about the goaltending. Well, they okay. kind of had to win, not in spite of the goaltending. It was just, it wasn't a huge factor either way. Kemper was good last night too, by the way. His mastery of the Canucks continues. Uh, but here's the other thing. When you talk about goalies having an off year and the team cratering with it, look at the difference between Winnipeg last year and Winnipeg this year. Hellebuck yeah. wasn't good last year. Hellebuck's got a 931. He had a 40 save shutout against the Avs last night. Don't you think the Rick Bonus system is helping, though? Probably. I haven't watched making him feel a little bit. But he's also another guy who's routinely at the top of those goals saved above average standings. Right. He struggles. Yeah, Hellebuck. Right. Mm. You see that flux. But their identity in Winnipeg was built on, like, we've got a pretty good team in front of them, but we've also got a guy that's at the top of his class goaltending wise. And then last year, he wasn't. And I don't know if that was all structural. I've, we've seen goalies just have bad years before. Like, it yeah, happens. It happens. Just, it never gets on track, and it's such a momentum-based position. And then you get to the offseason, you reset, you come mm-hmm. back, and you have a good one. Like, again, I, I look at it. Hellebuck dropped to a 9-10 last year, which is still above average, but it wasn't by his standards. Now he's at a 9-31, and lo and behold, the Jets are one of the best teams in the Western Conference, and they absolutely smoked Colorado last night. Okay, we got to go to break. 7 o'clock hour, uh, we're going to be doing a fair bit of the footy, I imagine. Manuel Veth, uh, soccer writer in Canada from Transfer Market, is going to join us to talk about everything that's going on at the World Cup. Kickoffs are almost underway between France and Tunisia and Denmark and Australia. All to play for in that group, although the Tunisians are in tough to get out of that one. But they are still technically mathematically alive. Uh, we will talk about Canada at this World Cup, both with Manuel, and then we will do it ourselves. The narrative around this team and this performance and this once sort of Cinderella-esque storybook run has certainly taken a turn, and we'll discuss all of it, including a pretty a pretty interesting, to put it in the most polite terms, and brutal, to put it at the more appropriate terms, article from CBC came out yesterday regarding Alfonso Davies. We will talk about that as well. we got a big 7 o'clock hour, 8 o'clock. We're going to give away a pair of Canucks tickets to see the Panthers on Thursday night at Rogers Arena. So we still got a big show ahead. Hour 1 is in the books. Hour 2 on the way. Halford Bruff, Sportsnet 650. What's going on? We're getting the rain. You're getting the snow. Everything's upside down. Seattle scoring nine goals. What the hell's going on around here? Dogs and cats living together. Mass hysteria. 